Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Mind Shifters Radio with the Forgiveness Doctor, Dr. Michael Rice. I'm Jeannie Rice, your co-host. We also have co-hosts Dr. Tim Hayes and Michelle Pichet. We will share with you the wisdom of the first century Aramaic internal process of forgiveness. We offer tools and support five days a week. We will support you in building a solid foundation within yourself to live in pure love in Aramaic, Brachma. Michael is the author of the book, Why Is This Happening to Me Again? For more information about the forgiveness process, please visit www.whyagain.org. And now, welcome to the show, Mind Shifters Radio. Hello and welcome to Mind Shifters Radio. I'm Tim Hayes. I'm your host for the first hour. And today is a Friday, a Friday in May. Friday, May 12th, 2023. And as always, we are grateful to everyone who's joining us here today, whether you're listening live or through the archives as we spend another couple of hours teaching and supporting people and using some of the most powerful, effective, efficient, and accessible tools I've ever encountered. These tools are available absolutely free through the tireless efforts of Dr. Michael and Jeannie Rice. On the website at whyagain.org. If you go to that website and Look for the two words that say start here in the upper left-hand corner. That's a link. If you click on it, it will take you to a page where you can download and read Chapter 24 of Dr. Michael Rice's book. His book is titled, Why Is This Happening to Me Again? And that chapter of the book contains a narrative description and explanation of the primary tool in this work. That tool is called the Reality Management Worksheet sometimes called the Reality Management Wake-Up Sheet. And it's a tool I've been using to great effect for over 18 years to improve the quality of my life and most of my relationships and to turn any negative emotional experience I have into part of the infallible guidance system that each and every one of us has been given You can also download the actual worksheet process itself. It's a simple PDF file. Click the link, download it, print it off, and copy it as often as you'd like. Use it over and over again, absolutely free. The other thing is there's a whole host of audio file, links to audio files of shows where people have been stepped through that worksheet process. And if you listen to those, they can serve as a tutorial for how to get good benefits from that work, perhaps even maximum benefits from that work in the shortest period of time. You can also go to your app store and type in the three words, Heartland Aramaic Forgiveness. And if you choose to do that before you're done typing the word forgiveness, you'll see the glowing heart icon. 
If you tap on that, it will let you download a completely free and private app that contains the Reality Management Worksheet. It contains an abbreviated version of that worksheet process, and it contains a copy of the Dragon Klingon game, which is a wonderful way to introduce these tools to even younger audiences. We help people do all of that soon and often, primarily because it tends to improve the quality of people's lives when they do, and secondarily because it tends to prompt comments, questions, answers, and testimonials. And if you have any of those to share with us, please do give us a call at 563-999-3581 and press 1 on your phone. Or you can send us an email. You can email me at tjh at mindshifters-academy.org or you can email genie at j-e-a-n-i-e at whyagain.org. That's w-h-y-a-g-a-i-n.org. And when you do that, we will address your question or comment on the air, and then as time allows, send you a, a notification about what day and time that we got to answer or discuss or have comments about your message. And then you can listen back to the archives and get the feedback. The archives are yet another powerful tool that is available because Michael and Jeannie are maintaining them on the website and We encourage people to take use of or make use of not just the tool and the, the multiple worksheets and the basically the system for managing your mental emotional stress, but also the YouTube channel that Michael and Jeannie maintain where some of his sections of his talks are available free and Every once in a while, there's an entire hour from one of his workshops that's available free. And, of course, for over 12 years now, we've been doing the Internet shows. The first eight years was one hour a day, five days a week. And now it's two hours a day, five days a week. And that the archive of those shows is available as another resource. I just got a... A, um, I got an, an advertisement in my email box for Matt Kahn. And Matt Kahn am, is a spiritual teacher of sorts, and he began having uh, spiritual experiences at a very young age. And now, as an adult, he has quite a following of people who show up at his events, just like Michael Rice would have people show up at his intensives, and and Matt Kahn has been doing more and more things on, on video, and, and he's had this... Um, he talked about how he was deep in meditation and what how can I take my work to the next level and and build the community and offer more to the community. The bottom line is he's basically offering for thirty nine dollars a month access to the archives 
of the videos that he's done and the you know online things and the phone calls and things that he's done and Michael and Jean you're offering that to people free it's it's hour after hour of the internet show I've heard Michael say at different times people would call in and say well how do I do this or how do I get rid of my anger or how do I move past this grief or and Michael would say every hour on the internet show is about that very thing in one way or another we're talking about the tools that you can use to manage your mental and emotional stress you can you can apply these tools in your life to great advantage and um, rather than do what Matt Kahn has done and, and decide to sell it for you know a, a monthly subscription it, it's Michael and Jeannie are paying their own money to keep this stuff available and allowing you to access it for free. One of the best ways to make sure that what you're listening to is relevant to what you want is to go to the website and click on the Start Here link because Jeannie has curated out of the last 12 years shows that have been considered in one way or another best of either because they highlight um, an example of somebody who's being stepped through the worksheet process live on the internet show or because it's a deep dive into explaining how and or why these tools have such power to bring about positive change in someone's life so Um, absolutely free access to the archives and and one one could say uh, you know if I were doing an infomercial act now while it's still free because <laughs> you never know Michael and Jeannie occasionally do uh, offer participation in a breathwork session or an online intensive and they charge a fee for that and yet there is a wealth of stuff that's offered absolutely free. So our call-in number is 563-999-3581. We had our support group last night, and we listened to several snippets from Abraham Hicks and, and, and fed it into discussion and And one of the things that was coming up last night is the idea that conflict that we have with our our loved ones or our spouses can be used to our advantage, can be seen as something that's revealing to us what we need to uncover to heal or let go of or move to the next level. And in the middle of the group last night, I got um, a message from a, a, an old friend that they were struggling mightily. And in the middle of the group last night, another group member got a message from a friend who has big, big issues going on in their lives. And 
I think of you know when when these things happen, my conscious logical mind can't make any sense of how that's a good thing or it's happening for me because it feels so much like an assault. It feels so contrary to what would be good or loving or you know productive or manifesting goodness in my life, etc. And yet, there are many, many more layers of things going on here than my conscious logical mind can understand. And what it made me, uh, or what it, it resonated for me, and I was thinking of, was I was giving a, a, a talk at a Unity Church a number of years ago out in Rockford, Illinois. And it's it's fully an hour's drive away from my house. Now, at the time, I was living in the town where my mother lives, and my mother was living alone, and I was very aware, very cognizant whenever I went any place to not go too far away in case my mom would need something. And she was still driving at that time, and but... But on a very limited basis, she would only drive to her church, she would only drive to the store, she would only drive to her friends' houses, and we knew exactly where those were. And and her her level of uh, comfort, anxiety, and cognitive awareness meant meant that she she couldn't go any place that wasn't within that little series of of very familiar destinations and then returning home. But this was a Sunday morning, and I drove an hour away from our hometown to go be at a Unity Church and give a talk. And the title of the talk was How to How to Be Happy with Whatever Happens in Your Life, How, how to Accept or Bless or See as a Blessing Anything That Unfolds. That was the title of the talk. So I got there, as my usual pattern is. I got to the church about you know forty-five minutes early, or or maybe a little bit more. And I was doing my little meditation, breathing, tapping, reviewing my notes, you know, getting ready to go in and and give a a sermon at the at the this unity service. And uh, my phone starts buzzing multiple times with you know an unrecognized number but it's the same number calling three or four times so i answer the phone and it's the first alert paramedics um you know my sister everybody is calling me because my mother has had a big big fall and the top of her head was split open and blood was all over and and um so I, I took in all the information and was fully prepared to tell the people at the church, I'm sorry, I can't stay, I've got to go. And uh, my sister said, well, and, and as I was preparing to leave, my sister called and said, no reason for you to come. I'm here at the hospital with mom. They've got the bleeding stopped. It's going to need some stitches in her head. Mom is joking with the nurses, etc." And, um, you know, it's fine if you just wait until after the service is over and then, you know, come check us out. 
So based on, you know, all that report, mom's okay, I go into calm my nerves, even some more EFT tapping and some breath work, and I go in to meet and greet people and try and keep it together and get up and give a talk about how whatever happens in life we should look at as a blessing. And And I must confess, in that moment, with my conscious logical mind, there is nothing about it that easily comes to my awareness that says, oh, this is going to be a blessing. And yet, by the time the talk was over and people were coming up to me, because I I clearly was quite emotional giving the talk, I had tears well up a couple of times as I was talking about my mother, etc., and I got through the talk. I got through the presentation about there's more going on here than we know about. And when we stay in a loving mode and when we use the tools that we have at our availability and when we keep focused on the fact that we are the ones creating any emotion we have, we don't, we don't need to be defensive, we don't need to attack others when we have an emotion that's unpleasant, we can see it as energy, see it as information, breathe and soften and keep the focus inside of us and end up putting energies out into the field in that moment that are more calm, that are more forgiving, compassionate, grace-filled, we don't need to respond with fear and anger. And after the talk was over, there were people with tears in their eyes coming up and thanking me for staying and thanking me for the talk. And and so as I was driving to the hospital to see my mom and reviewing what had happened and I could see, okay, this was, it was a, even this thing, my mom is okay, not great, but she's okay, and these people at that church were just blessed by that talk and by the work I'd done to prepare the talk ahead of time and the emotion that I expressed while giving the talk and how I modified the talk to to blend in the events of the of the day without, you know, trying to pretend that nothing's happening. And these great spiritual teachings are trying to especially books like A Walk in the Physical, they're trying to wake us up to the fact that this is always a possibility, that there's always a lot more going on here than we know about. And if we choose a filter, a template, a a basis for observation that says, I'm going to live in the question. I'm going to look for the blessing in this situation. I'm going to look for the way that I can be a blessing to myself and others in this moment or this situation. If I stay in that mindset, in that space of observation, I'm going to see more of the coincidences and blessings and synchronicities, there's the word I was looking for, that Jung 
Carl Gustav Jung, C.G. Jung, would talk about in his work with archetypes and the collective unconscious and synchronicities. And if I leave myself in the open questioning space, if I ask to be shown on a regular basis, how is this going to work out better than I could have, than anything I could have planned? What's mine to do here? How can I be a blessing to myself and others? How is this situation going to contain a lesson I need to learn to move to the next level? If I stay in that open questioning space, if I use that pattern of questioning routinely in my life, it will guide me. I will see things that I won't be able to see if I'm living from belief and conclusion and this is bad and this is horrible and this is wrong and this never should have happened and the judgments, the the dogma, the beliefs close down my perception. They don't open it up. So we've had two people in the group last night that were facing, at least two, two that we knew about, that were facing life situations that on the surface, at a conscious logical level, no one would choose. And most would say, this is bad. This is intense. This is very difficult. And I, as, it, as, as with most things on this show, I pass along those things that I have personally experienced to be of great benefit. And this idea, however life is unfolding, whether it's a very serious car accident that I'm involved in or that I witness or somebody who calls me and says, I, I'm absolutely despondently depressed right now or I can't take the abusive situation in my job right now or someone I know is near death. What I can tell you from my own personal experience over the past 18, 19, 20 years is that the more I leave myself in that space of open questioning, the more I breathe and soften and let that breath dissipate any tightness or tension or upset that I might generate in that moment because of my interpretation which has been programmed into me to be negative and reflexive. And as I breathe and soften and keep the focus inside myself and let those energies that I've been generating with that negative interpretation, let them soften and flow through me, and then I bring out the interpretation of questioning and openness and asking to be shown how to be a blessing and where's the lesson, it powerfully transforms my experience 
helps me spend a tiny fraction of my time day in and day out in the negative emotions and helps me see connections, synchronicities, miracles, you know, positive coincidences that were probably always there, but I was not seeing when I was closed down in anger or bitterness or judgment. So, our call-in number again is 563-999-3581. One of the essays that I had on the list to talk about today is essay number 71 from the book A Walk in the Physical by Christian Sundberg. And the title of this essay is Awareness is Inherently Joyful. And I thought this was a, a good one to throw up when so many of us are having life experiences that are anything but joyful. They're either bo- they're anywhere from boring all the way into excruciating or suffering. And this essay reads, awareness is inherently joyful. It can only experience pain as a temporary non-fundamental experience. Try and let that sink in. If, if your constant everyday experience was pain, your life would be very, very different. David E. Martin wrote a book titled Lizards Eat Butterflies. And in that book, he talks about how the vast majority of moments in a human life are monotonously, boringly safe and healthy. For the vast majority, even for those people who worry constantly, the vast majority of moments in their lives The sky is not falling, the plane is not crashing, the car is not flipping over, the stock market hasn't crashed, the hurricane or the tornado hasn't moved through their town. The vast majority of moments in any human life are monotonously safe and at least neutral, if not joyful. Here this essay starts out with the statement, awareness is inherently joyful. Awareness can only experience pain as a temporary and therefore a non-fundamental experience. Resting the, resisting that experience of pain tends to perpetuate it, but it is not allowing what is to be. Right? Resisting the experience of pain tends to extend it and perpetuate it because it is not allowing the truth of what is, the flow of life, to just be there. The essay goes on and says, true happiness and freedom are available in completely allowing whatever is to be exactly as it is without the judgments of the ego mind. Now, this is a 
this is a piece of wisdom that cuts across thousands of years. I remember running into this in Vasitha's yoga and um, the Hermetica and um, modern day, I mentioned Matt Kahn earlier, Matt Kahn wrote a book titled Whatever Arises, Love That. Krishnamurti would talk about how whenever we judge something as bad or wrong, we're doing a violent act, a mentally violent act against that thing. It pulls us out of the flow of life, out of the experience of the moment. That's what this essay is pointing to. When we resist an experience of pain, we tend to perpetuate it. The experience of pain is temporary because it is not the fundamental nature of awareness. Awareness is Consciousness and awareness is your your true nature. And that is not, your true nature is not fundamentally pained or in suffering. So the essay goes on and says, true happiness and freedom are available in completely allowing whatever is to be exactly as it is without the judgments of the ego mind. This is because by releasing the forms of the ego mind, the consciousness naturally takes a step back towards its native state, which always fully transcends the forms that it is beholding. The native state of consciousness goes beyond form. It goes beyond thought. It goes beyond the physical body. It goes beyond belief. And in relinquishing all resistance and in simply being present with whatever is, awareness naturally sees past the forms that were distracting it. And it is once again known that joy is always there. Awareness is formless and unlimited. When awareness gets lost within the illusion of form, and believes form is what it is, then awareness temporarily believes something contrary to its true nature. It believes it is limited and separate, when in truth it is unlimited and connected to everything. In so doing, consciousness naturally experiences suffering. Suffering is a sign that awareness has brought something, has bought into something that is not fundamentally true. Suffering is a sign that awareness has bought into an illusion, a hallucination, a distortion of the truth of life, and has thus temporarily forgotten its own true nature. When awareness knows its true nature, which is beyond form and totally free, suffering is not possible. Now again, if you think you're just a physical body and you think there is no such thing as a mind separate from the random neural firings in the brain, none of this will make sense. But for anyone who buys into, who's had a deep spiritual experience of what some would call a God moment, feeling connected to everything, tapped into a bliss state that's out of time, 
this is what they're referring to as the true nature of every sentient being. The next essay is titled, Existence is More Than a Bunch of Relationships. And the the essay reads, People tend to define things in relationship to other things. Forms somehow gain an apparent meaning because of how we relate them to other forms. In order to understand our reality, we borrow relationship after relationship until we reach some subjective level of satisfaction that reality has been identified. And in so doing, we automatically narrow reality down to the meaning that we have given it, that we have assigned to it. In fact, capital T truth fully transcends all the relationships we've identified between its apparent parts. Reality is much, much bigger than the logical meaning we have assigned to it. As Rupert Spira says, objects do not have existence. Existence has objects. Existence may be equated with the word consciousness. Consciousness beholds objects, and objects do not exist independent from the awareness of them. In order to truly understand things, we need to look primarily not at the things themselves, but at the consciousness that transcends beholding them. The consciousness transcends all of the relationships between the forms that it is beholding. And the consciousness is much, much more than all of them combined. The whole is not just the sum of its parts. Area code 828, is this Magda? Yes, indeed, this is Magda. Um, Good day to you and everyone who's listening. So I'm calling to ask you a question about... um, Now, let me back up. I have... This is the first time, this reading today, the the, uh, essay that you read just before this one. It's the first time that I have encountered something that I really don't agree with. And it was a um, statement about uh, for every human being, most of our lives. I'm sorry? Wait, that awareness, you're talking about the essay that says awareness is inherently joyful? Yes, and and the statement and within it, and that. It, in the middle of that, I, I reference this other book by David E. Martin, where he says, the vast majority of moments in any human life are monotonously safe. Yes, and I didn't catch that because I was doing some other stuff. So that's not in this book. It's another reference. Well, that okay. is... That, that, that is in what got resonated in my mind when I was reading this essay that says 
Awareness is inherently joyful, and it can only experience pain as a temporary, non-fundamental experience. And when we resist the experience of pain, we perpetuate it because our resistance to the thing that we say is causing our pain is not letting life just be as it is. We judge it. We form tension and constriction and contraction, and that's the source of our pain. That made me think of this book where David E. Martin talks about how the vast majority of moments in any human life, the tiger is not chasing them. The tornado is not tearing through the town. The bombs are not dropping. Do you agree with that statement? It's not about agreeing. Do you observe it in your life or not? It's not about agreeing or disagreeing. We're not we're not talking about believing in something. This is okay. I do. For, I do experience for many that in people, my life. Oh, go ahead. For many people, it's an observable fact. Even those, as I mentioned, those people who worry about this, that, and the other thing, the vast majority of things that people worry about never come true. And they cause their suffering. They cause the suffering that comes from worrying about it. This is that's the truth that's that's woven into the statement that the brave person um that the coward dies a thousand deaths, the brave person only one. And and that has been true in my life that my worrying has been absolutely a waste of time. What I'm thinking of is, excuse me, I think that statement applies to Western folks in Western countries. How about people in Africa and other Eastern countries who have been plagued from the moment of their birth by um, attacks and, and starvation and some some people go through their entire life with that. So I, I don't think it applies to every human being. Okay. I, I, I can't argue it one way or another. I haven't lived everybody else's life. Okay. So so <laughs> if, 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 if you're keeping score, it's one point for Magda. <laughs> Bravo, bravo. Um, I don't know. Maybe it's possible that children who are brought up in a war zone atmosphere and lived through that their entire lives, maybe it's possible for them to have joy. Um, Yeah, I don't know. I haven't been there. That was my... And and, and the question... And the question that I ask people often on shows like this and in the support group is when people raise a question like that, I say, okay, now, if we had God herself right here to give us that answer, if I could give you the definitive, unquestionable, always right answer to that question, how would it make a difference in your life? You, Magda. Uh. Probably not at all. <laughs> okay. Okay. But but listen, listen, listen. I'm I'm not. I'm I'm just trying to be uh, useful here, and I'm saying if there was a way, 
in which having a solid answer to that question would make a substantial difference in your life today and tomorrow and moving forward, I would work with you to try and come up with a useful answer to it. However, since I don't have that definitive answer, and since it's not really a question that would be of use to you to answer, I'll just say I don't know and we can move on. I don't know if you were on the call uh, or on the radio show, but a few days ago, I think it was within this week, I had been listening to an interview with a person who was raised in the inner city, and when he got to be a certain age, his brother taught him how to um, cook crack and sell it and and he ended up doing prison time etc and he was talking about how now that he's gotten out of that life and he's i believe he was um making his way through the world as a successful chef and he Uh was talking about how in that world of constant drug abuse and violence and all these other things his statement was there was always more love than anything else mm-hmm. he said there was there was the love that was shown when our fathers and brothers and uncles would put aside their drugs or their alcohol for the afternoon to coach the baseball or soccer team there was the love that was exemplified by the elderly people who would pull you aside in the hallway and give you some wisdom or say hey i i've been you know uh seeing you hanging out with the wrong kids you know try this or that there was the love that was exemplified by people who routinely would stop at. I believe he mentioned the the, uh, the fast food chain Popeyes. If they had extra money, they would stop at a Popeyes and get this basically a banquet of of food and bring it back to the community and just let everybody eat up. And and this is where you know he was raised in the environment where gang shootings and violence and it's not safe to walk the streets even in the evening etc his take on it was there's always more love than the negative that's a really great story i'm glad that you you put that in here um yeah so that really answers my question completely. <laughs> I was just surprised because I thought it came out of this book, and as I said, everything in the book so far that I've heard, I really agree with. So I was um, surprised that I had a disagreement right there with that statement. And, of course, that disagreement may not be... Um, um, founded in any reality because I don't have that reality. It was simply an assumption that I made that people in a war-torn country would not be able to have much joy and safety was one of the things in that statement. So, well, anyhow. I think it's, it's, it's more valuable for 
each of us to just look at, okay, so what's going on in my life right now? If I'm living in a war-torn country, then then that's useful, right? If mm-hmm. I'm living on, on death row in Texas where I'm constantly being abused like Roger McGowan, it, it's useful to look at that and say, okay, is there a way for me to focus on the good even though I'm here? Is there more good to focus on than, than bad if I learn how to turn my lens of, of consciousness or awareness on it in the proper way? And, of course, Roger McGowan has done that, which is why he's been, you know, written about in books by Pierre Pratervand about, you know, messages of life from death row, and, and there's some other books he's written about him, as becoming a spiritual teacher in an environment where people were actively working to abuse him. So I don't know the truth of the answer to your question. I do know people and stories of people. I I personally know some people whose lives you would never want to have, and you would say, oh, my God, that's tragic. And they end up being paragons of optimism and love and joy. Dr. Tim, I just got this this very strong message within me about what I really, um, what bothered me about that statement. I thought it was incredibly, uh, how would you apply the word egocentric to someone who thinks only about his people, the people he lives with, um, not Eurocentric or American, Western-centric perhaps, um, that, that that person wasn't taking others into account who have a very different life. So I got some the old-fashioned word trigger there. About and my thoughts about that person. <laughs> yeah, my interpretation. Yeah, and, yeah. and, and <laughs> it's it's great for you to see that that's a trigger for you, because this person, David E. Martin, uh-huh. has done work around the globe for people in difficult situations, helping wow. them with their economy, helping them get their, you know you know, the fair trade and the fair price for their... He's he's worked to negotiate peace between warring tribes. Um, I think it was in Papua New Guinea, and, and there was... Um, a, I'm not sure if it was a, a genocide that was being um, perpetrated, but he's done work. He's not sitting in an ivory tower. And that's the source experience from which he generated the statement the vast majority of moments now he's not saying that you know the vast majority of your life he's talking about these individual moments so that even people that are living in a war zone there's that worry about what might happen but the vast majority of moments in a human being's life they're not being shot at but these people that we're talking about that live in the inner city, the vast majority of their lives, they worry about being shot at, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But it, but the vast majority of their lives, they're not actually getting hit with bullets. 
good point. And so, and, and, and so his point was, if I spend my mind energy on the bad things, then, and, and resisting the bad things, I create a lot more upset and pain and suffering. And that's exactly the kind of message that's coming out here in this, right, the, the essay that we're reading about how awareness is inherently joyful, it doesn't say there is no such thing as pain. It says we have pain. We create more pain. We perpetuate our pain when we resist it rather than see mm-hmm. past it and see that there's more going on here than just this moment of illness or physical pain or injury, etc. And that's what I've heard about animals. I have no idea if it's true. None of my dogs or cats have ever told me this, but uh, some human beings believe that animals um, don't continue to be bothered about the injuries they might have or, and don't focus on it and suffer. They live in the, in the moment, period, and the next moment and the next moment they're in it. And so if they have a pain, it it passes because they allow themselves to move to the next moment. So, um, okay, I'm feeling satisfied. Thank you. All right. Well, I will (laughs) thank you and mute you so you can listen in, and I will turn on the microphone for area code 269. I don't know that this was intentional, but area code 269. I've turned on the microphone, and you're in the air. Did you intend to raise your hand? Okay. I will assume that that was an accidental pressing of the number one for area code 269. If you did have a comment you wanted to make or a question you wanted to ask, please press one on your phone twice area code 269, and that will let me know that you're back in the in the queue or interested in contributing a comment or a question. So we've got about nine minutes left. Our call-in number is 563-999-3581. If you call that number and press 1, we can have a conversation. How can we support you? What's getting stirred up for you as you listen? Have you been triggered as Magda triggered herself by throwing an interpretation on this writing that it was very egocentric and limited? The last essay I was going to read today is Beingness is not in the intellect, and it's essay number 73, and it reads, as we consider spiritual ideas, we are in the intellect. Yet, what we are, the beingness itself, is not an intellectual activity. Now, the intellect occurs within beingness, but beingness is beyond that. The name of this game is love, capital L, love. And that is also not an intellectual activity. 
Love is a state of intention genuinely pointed toward the benefit of another over oneself. Love is a state of intention genuinely pointed towards inclusion, acceptance, freedom of being, and unity. Surrender is not primarily an intellectual activity. Neither is it also an intent. Love and surrender can occur through an intellectual context, but they are not of the intellect. The intellect and all of its knowledge and understanding of one's current experience is but a tool and a context. I'm going to read that again. The intellect and all of its knowledge and understanding of one's current experience is but a tool and a context. The quality of intent of the individual who is using that tool and operating within that context, the quality of the intent of that individual is the primary force that we are here to develop. The quality of your intent is the primary force you're here to develop. Our primary reason for being here is the growth of what we are, the growth of whatever beingness we can generate in intention toward love. What survives bodily death, then, is our true self, our beingness, which retains its true nature. That true nature is retained forever. Even as form falls away, the quality of the consciousness which beheld the form and did something with it, that quality of consciousness still remains. To the soul the development of that quality of consciousness is well worth the price of being physical for a while. It's well worth all the pain and suffering. It's well worth all of the contrasting situations of what I prefer and what I don't prefer. It's well worth the grief and the anger and the sense of loss and betrayal. To the soul the development of the quality of consciousness toward love is worth the suffering that is part of the physical experience. At least that's the teaching of this book. And you may or may not agree with it, as Magda was having a disagreement with one of the statements that we made, and we welcome those comments and questions and agreements or disagreements. And... We welcome you to send those comments through email, tjh at mindshifters-academy.org or genie at j-e-a-n-i-e at yagain.org or give us a call on the Internet Show, 563-999-3581 and press 1 on your phone. This is a Friday. We are coming up on the weekend. Uh, Michael and Jeannie should be here shortly, and then 
Next week, again, we've got at least four live shows in the first hour. I will probably have uh, start six recorded shows starting on Friday and through that next week. I will do my best to make them uh, interesting. Some of them will be brand new because they will be recordings of interviews I've done for the On Your Mind podcast over the years. And some of them might be shows, repeats of these Internet shows themselves. And again, there is still time if you have a comment or a question or a suggestion about what you'd like to hear as a best of show in that series of six that will start next Friday, a week from today, let me know. Email me at tjh at mindshifters-academy.org and let me know. And I will remind us all that we come from love. We're made of this stuff we call love. We actually are love, and everything else is false. And I will welcome Jeannie Rice. Thank you, Dr. Tim. You're appreciated. Have a good weekend. Thanks. You too. Blessings. Thanks. So welcome, everybody, to the second hour of Mindshifters Radio. And today is Friday, May the 12th, 2023. And our calling number is 563-999-3581. And press 1, and that puts you into queue to talk to us. And we would love to hear your comments and questions because that makes this your show. And we'll give Michael just a couple minutes. We're a couple minutes early, so I think he's on another call, and he'll dial in here in just a moment. But I do see where we have a hand up. It's area code 269 and you are on the air. Who do we have? Hello, 269. Well, maybe they stepped away, so maybe they'll call back in. So if you have a comment or question, call and direct how you want this show to go today, what you would like to talk about, what you would question, what you challenge, um, where you would like the conversation to head. And we will go that way. I'll direct you to go to the website. I'm actually just adding, I just got the link for the book club for uh, April the, ooh, let's see what, April the 27th. So I'm getting ready to put that link. If you missed the book club, that was, they went over chapter two of the book. And as soon as Jinka sends it to us, I will get the one up from yesterday, and that was on Chapter 3. They're going one chapter at a time, and so uh, it's been an awesome study. And so you can access those if you go to our website, which is whyagain.org, and you can click on Schedules or Schedule, and then in, within that schedule you'll see um, you know, the free three-hour Why workshop. You can pick that up. There's the information on the codependence to interdependence intensive, and then there's the global online book. And you can get all of the archives since uh, Michael's been participating in that the second and fourth Thursday of every month. There's also a link under schedule for instructional videos, how to navigate the website and the app. And uh, we've gotten, I think, everything squared away with Google and Apple. And so the app should be working fine. Let me know if you run into any issues. Somebody had actually written the other day and 
said that the appearance of it was really strange, but I think what it is is they had what's called, um, I think it's dark view. Uh, you can change your phone to where it, you know, it changes the color. And they had it on dark view, so it made it really kind of weird. So if you'll change that back to the regular setting, then it will show up just fine on your phone. Uh, there's also the Mind Shifters and Still Point Breathing every month on the uh, third Saturday of the month. Uh, so we'll be doing that not tomorrow, but the next Saturday. And then we follow up on Sunday, and I know that's Mother's Day, but uh, we'll be doing a follow-up session. And both of those, uh, if you click on the Mind Shifters online, it'll give you all the information about it, and then you can email me, or if you have our phone number, call us but, uh, to register to be part of that. So the third Saturday and Sunday of every month, and it starts at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, usually goes till around 1 or 2 o'clock. But the Sunday follow-up, it might be two hours, and sometimes it's less. It just depends on how many people attended the Saturday workshop and how much processing goes on. So all of that information is there. Uh, I do need to, I just as I was clicking on the schedule, I saw that I still have Heartland season on there, so I need to take that off. That's not going to happen this year, so I'll be changing that. If you find anything else on the website that needs editing or changing or a link that doesn't work, please let me know. It's Jeannie, J-E-A-N-I-E, at whyagain.org, and I'll get it taken care of. And now Michael's with us, so I'm going to say welcome, Michael. Thank you, dear heart, and welcome, everybody. Did we uh, not find our caller earlier? They did not answer, and so ah, hopefully they'll call probably. back in. But okay, yeah. is the hand still up? Step Maybe away. they're back to their phones. No, it's not. No. Okay. Well, call in. We'll love to say hello and welcome. We're uh, we're just honored and delighted to be in this loop where we get to continue this conversation about amazing technology that it's over 2,000 years old now. And it taps into the the fact of, what should I say, an understanding of the way the mind works that is and has been lost for centuries. And when we recognize and are able to translate that technology into our modern understanding, it is just, well, first of all, it is so logical and rational. It just makes so much sense. And when you put it to work, you realize that there's just so much missing from the ancient scriptures. There's just so much that... You know, it's it's like somebody purposely tampered with them in order to make sure that they could not be understood. It's, it's just about that crazy. And so when you, to the first century Aramaic meaning of the words that have been translated by the Greeks into what in many cases is just plain silliness, 
I mean, literally, so much of it is so far out in left field that you wonder, you know, what was going on? What, who did this? Why, why is this so... In the context of understanding the, the meaning of the words and the ideas and the concepts in Aramaic, and coming forward to the Greek, like, it's just so ridiculous. You know, when you have, we, we have blessing today, and how 2,000 years ago somebody had this understanding, it's got to be divine intervention. That's the only way I can imagine it. I mean, today we know through brain research that perception is a construct of mind. We can go to the CIA and look at their research, and they'll verify that that's true. We can go to the neuroscientist lab, and the lab will tell us this is how the mind works. Perception is a construct of the mind. Go back to the Aramaic and you hear this man Yeshua saying, don't judge by appearances. What is a perception? It's just an appearance. The mind puts this construct forward as though it's the fact of what's going on in the world, and it just is not. So when you have that understanding and then you realize that there is a a process that is identifiable that drives the mind's constructs, that drives our perception. And then you realize that somebody was smart enough to say, here's how you get the appearances to collapse. Like, where did that stuff go for 2,000 years? You know, why did a guy, as, you know, short a time after Yeshua taught this information, why did a guy named Paul, who is presented as a primo teacher of his work, why did he not know this? And, and how do we know he didn't know this? Because he says in his own life, in his own process, why is it the things I would do I cannot do and the things I would do I cannot? He obviously didn't know what Yeshua was teaching just a short time before he appeared on the scene. What happened? It's crazy time. So when you are able to understand and decode that technology and put it to work, everything just changes so drastically, so dramatically, that it's crazy. The number of lives destroyed because this technology was removed almost 2,000 years ago is criminal. Some might ascribe it to some supernatural evil force. (laughs) I don't know. But I do know that when people live in a state of denial, their minds simply present fraud as truth. And until you know how the mind works, it's indistinguishable. It's, it's like impossible to tell. And the average person says, well, you know, that's impossible to tell, so therefore we'll just stick to what we already know. And, you know, what I know is that I'm in pain and it's all your fault. So, you know, and, and I am a card-carrying member of the One World Universal Religion of Blame, and so I've got somebody to blame for everything that's wrong in my life. And, and I just ask everybody to ask yourself the question, Do you actually believe that there's somebody in your life, if they would change, your life would get better? Now, 
99% of people that I've worked with over the years, the first, first attention on that question, their answer is, yes, of course, if only such and such would. And then they start to work with these tools. And what they find is when they go in and take responsibility for and remove their pain, that person can do the same stuff and they're not in pain anymore. Times the follow-up thing is that when that person, or pardon me, when they resolve their internal pain, that person out there seems to change. It looks like they are now different. <laughs> are they different? Absolutely, yes. But are they different because they've changed? No. They're different because the signals you send to the world have changed and people respond differently. And so when I take responsibility for what's going on inside of me, when I take responsibility for the fact that my mind can generate this kind of trauma and that I can resolve that, and when I resolve it energetically, I am no longer calling for that trauma all around me. Back about close to 40 years ago, I keynoted several times at a conference called Global Science. And one year at the Global Science Conference in Colorado, a gentleman named Marcel Vogel showed up with a camera called a Delaware camera, a camera that used a tuning mechanism to attune to frequencies, much like a radio attunes to a radio frequency, and could take pictures of whatever it was tuned to if that frequency was present. So rather than, you know, you click the aperture, you, you click the shutter, and the aperture opens, and whatever light energy is in front of it is registered on the photographic plate. But this camera, called a Delaware camera, when you clicked the aperture open, when it opened, whatever the tuning device was tuned to, if it was present, that's what would register on the plate. And what Marcel showed us is that he could take a picture of the high energy waves that leave the mind when we think a thought. And we know energetically the universe is governed by the law of resonance. And resonance means energy exchange. So if I hold a particular pattern of I believe I should be abused this way, then I'm going to be setting up a frequency that invites somebody to come and do it. When I change that in me, and that's what forgiveness does, is it allows us to access the hidden parts of our own minds. When I change that in me, one, the disease that was caused by that energy in my physiology disappears. My physiology heals. The emotional, tra emotionally traumatic feelings that I was experiencing based on that hidden information disappear. The signal that I set up that draws people to me to do certain things disappears and they change because I'm no longer energetically asking for that particular assault. And, of course, you might say, well, you know, that assault, I, I mean, I saw them do it. It really was their fault. And I say, yeah. But notice how many times you've been through it. Like, if you've been through it 87 different times with 42 different people, at what point do you start to realize you're the only one that was there every time and maybe you're involved in your life and is not all somebody else. And as you take that level and that quality of responsibility, everything changes. So we're here to offer that technology it's available anytime you want to use it, please. 
go to our website, whyagain.org. Up in the upper left-hand corner of the homepage, there's a, a, uh, a link that says Start Here. Click the Start Here link. When you click the Start Here link, it opens up a whole world that will walk you through. I mean, literally everything we know about forgiveness is there. We have accumulated. I mean, there are dozens up to hundreds of hours of material that you can walk through everything that I've walked through over the last 50 years to come to understand this. It's there. It's free. It's available. Please take it and use it. And then if you're engaging in it and you run into questions, pick up the phone and call the show and ask the question. That's what we're here for. Commitment is to make it available. First and foremost, to make it available to you. You can also... Go to your app store on your phone, type in the words Heartland, H-E-A-R-T-L-A-N-D, one word, Aramaic, A-R-A-M-A-I-C, forgiveness. You'll be looking at the world's only forgiveness app. You can engage and do the work right there on the app, and it's about its fifth iteration. Thank you, Jeannie, for the genius of putting it together. And one of the features she put in the last iteration was On every page, there's a link you can click or a a box you can click and ask questions. And those questions will go directly to Jeannie. And Jeannie will read them directly on the show and we'll answer them and we'll send you back a link that says, here's where you can find your answer. And or, of course, anytime you wish, you can call into the show. And if you happen to be on one of those stations where we can't see you, the call-in number is 563-999-3581. If you call the show, you're listening directly to our conversation. And then if you push one, that raises a hand in the control panel, and we're having a conversation. And at this moment, there's nothing more that I'd love than to have a conversation with you, to interact, ask questions, get refinements. I will probably learn something new, something even in the decades that I've been working with it, I haven't understood because I haven't had the brain cells to ask the question that perhaps you have. And that's been one of the beauties of this show. That's been one of the beauties of the years that I've been on the road and interacting with people is I got to ask, pardon me, I got to ask every question that I was asked questions that maybe I have never thought of. And somebody goes, well, what about, and I go, oh, never thought of that one. Let's look into how that applies. And so we're here to offer the best information, the best support we can. Now, big resistance comes. I mean, when people hear, gee, I can remove all drama and trauma from my system, everybody gets so excited. It's like, yay! Or pretty much everybody. I guess the uh, the masochist wouldn't say yay, because gee, if you're going to get rid of my pain, you you know what the Trusadus says to the masochist when the masochist says beat me. The Trusadus says no. So if there are people who want to suffer, well, okay, then this isn't the place for you. However. The challenge is, whatever the 
initiating point is for any form of suffering in your family system, you're going to have to look at it, you're going to have to embrace it, and you're going to have to work through it. And that's the good news and the bad news. Healing is not Dr. Feelgood. But it is so powerful when you really, truly engage it. Just so amazing. And that's another reason for this radio show, so that, you know, as one steps in and does their work, there is a space of support for helping you to move through whatever it is you need to move through. And one of the big things that needs to be moved through in the process of healing is massive amounts of confusion. And so it can be difficult to stay on track when confronted with incongruent energies that need to be worked through. The confusion can become massive. And that's another reason for us being here. If confusion comes up for you in this process, please give us the honor and the privilege of supporting you through it. That's what we're here for. And if you will do thus that honor, you will also be honoring anyone else who's listening to the show or will at some time in the future, maybe a thousand years from now, listen to the show. Fortunately, this digital record will remain. And the opening that you create with your questions and your process, your willingness to go into that healing process may well be a gift that many, many others get to receive because of the work you do. Great principle in the Course of Miracles. When you are healed, you are never healed alone. Literally, each person who does their work opens the energy space, the energy window for everybody who has the same issue to also work through it. So we're delighted that you're here to be part of the conversation. And Miss Jeannie, do you have anything on your mind today? And or do we have anybody in the phone queue with Anna? No, nobody has a hand up. Um, so I was just thinking, unless somebody pops up with a question, uh, why don't you uh, talk a little bit about the perception and the things that came up in the book club yesterday and share that. We could do that. And, of course, the uh, as soon as we get the link, that will be available on our YouTube station, channel where you can listen to that live yesterday. But but basically we did um, Chapter 3 in the book, Why Is This Happening to Me Again? And I kind of did an outline of that uh, yesterday with, uh, with our introduction. But basically what that chapter looks at is that no matter what your mind is serving up to you, picture, it's only part of the truth. Now, I think I mentioned this the other day, and it's so relevant here. Einstein has this awesome insight. He says, the theory you have about a thing determines what you can observe. Now, if, the thing you're, or if you have a theory about the thing called life that whenever something's wrong, it's somebody else's fault. Whenever I'm in pain, somebody else did it to me. If that's the theory you have, then the only evidence you will get to see is evidence that backs up your theory. 
You know, the human mind is an evidential device. You know, the, the research, the lab research from Harvard University showed that in a time frame where 10,000 brain cells are firing, the max amount of data that comes to conscious awareness is nine bits. So you're looking at a little tiny piece of evidence based on a huge amount of data firing within it. And it's been estimated in that t- same time frame, which is about a 25th of a second, 10,000 brain cells firing, measurable units of electrical activity, nine bits go into conscious awareness. It's been estimated that perhaps as many as 20 trillion bits are happening in the actuality. And so if the thesis is somebody else is the problem in my life, holding that theory about a thing, then that's the only thing you'll be able to observe. And you'll have evidence your mind, if it has to hallucinate it, is going to show you how everybody else is the problem in your life. And it's a shocker when you realize that's a lie. It's a shocker when you collapse that and you get to the point where your mind works with the theory that, oh, everything that happens in me, I'm a part of it. It's a great section in The Course of Miracle on responsibility for sight. Deceive yourself no longer that you are helpless in the face of what is done to you. Acknowledge that but that you have been mistaken and all effects of your mistakes will disappear. I create the world I experience. I decide upon the goal I would achieve. And what happens to me, the Course says, I ask for and receive as I have asked. Now, this, and, and there's a big thing in the culture today about, oh, blaming the victim, shaming the victim. There's no shame, there's no blame in this understanding. All it's saying is nothing happens independent of you. There is no isolated event. So you're a participator. Does that mean you're to blame for what happens? No. Responsibility has nothing to do with blame. It just means energetically you're a part of everything that happens in your life. If you don't see that part, and and, and, and really this, the bottom line of this is recognizing that you're a creator. Each one of us is a creator. We're made in the image and likeness of the creator, and we are creators. And, you know, everybody loves that idea when the creation's going really well, but virtually everybody has somebody else to blame when it's not. And the mind is a liar. If you feed it to theory, no, it's all somebody else's fault. If you have a genetic heritage, if you can remember your power person sitting around whining and crying and complaining about how somebody else is the problem in your life. I mean, you know, all you have to do is turn on a TV channel anytime you know, in the last months, and you'll hear certain people, what appear to be very powerful people, getting up there and whining about how they're the victim. And it's all somebody. And the same conversation we were listening to years ago is happening today. And... The only cost of pretending to be a victim is that you have to give up your creatorship, or at least your conscious creatorship. Your creatorship will continue. It will just happen from the unconscious level. And what happens when you engage in forgiveness is you uncover the unconscious parts of your own mind. And when you uncover, and, and most people, when they uncover something or, or when they're told, well, it looks like you're probably going to find something else. They're like, no, 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 if that were true, I'd know it. No, that's why we call it the unconscious. We don't know it. But when you collapse 
the perceptual constructs of your mind, a la first century Aramaic forgiveness, then you get to uncover things that perhaps your bloodline's been hiding from themselves for a thousand generations. And so when you realize that everything the mind gives is evidence and it's evidence on demand, and the evidence has to back up the basic principles which we believe are operative in the universe, then once again, the only thing you ever get to do is see evidence of your own BS. That's, of course, belief system. You might have a different reality for those initials, but BS is belief system. And you're always going to get evidence for your own belief system. Until you straighten out the belief system to be accurate, the mind can't show you accurate data. It just can't do it. So engaging in forgiveness collapses the false precepts of the mind, the false constructs of the mind, and gives us a chance to access the underlying data and clean it up. So that's the bottom line of this work, and that's what we're all about. So if you're out there in listener land, we've got about uh, 35 minutes for conversation. Let's hear from somebody. How can we support you? What's on your mind? If you're on one of those stations where we can't see you, our call-in number is 563-999-3581. If you call that number, you're listening to the show live. And then if you push one, if you're listening live, you have a comment, a thought, a question, please share it with us now. What's happening in your life? We have 33 minutes. We have plenty of time. Press one, your first time. Yeah. yeah, rather than waiting till the last minute. Oftentimes the reason why people don't want to look is because of what they're going to find. Albert Einstein says, if you think you're separate or separated from the rest of humanity, you're living in an optical delusion. Yes, the mind creates these constructs that make things, makes things look a certain way. And the marker to tell whether or not your mind is telling you something accurate and true is, is there pain behind it? And if there's pain behind it, then bring that pain to the presence of love, and that pain will be transmuted. It will be dissolved. If we go to the opening words in the book of John, and you know, I hammer at this one regularly because it's such an important key. It doesn't say, in the beginning was the word, and the word became flesh. It says, in the beginning was the mind energy, and the mind energy became flesh. Your structure, your life, is a reflection. You know, if someone, let's say, stood in front of a mirror and had a scar, 
the reflection would have a scar. Can you fix scars in the reflection? You could put a Band-Aid over it, and it would seem like it wasn't there, but that doesn't eliminate the scar. And so what we're looking to do, rather than put Band-Aids over things, is we're looking to become responsible for access and bring forward everything that is out of harmony with the truth, which is out of harmony with who we are as human beings. Wounds held in the mind reflect as anomalies, anomalies or diseases in the body. So perception and the condition of this quote-unquote body are flip sides of the same coin. There's no separation between them. And the mind, in fact, is a reducing valve. It, it eradicates, the mind eradicates information that is not relative to the goals you hold at the moment. You know, if you ever sat really engrossed in a book, a dozen things might have gone on around you, but you were not aware of any of them because the focus was so intense on the book that it gated out all other information. There's some interesting research where they took a cat and they, they literally implanted electrodes in the cat's brain in the area where, of the brain where sound is registered, clicking device, and they click this device in the cat's ear and, of course, the, uh, the wires that they had implanted in the cat's brain were hooked up to an oscilloscope, and every time the click would go off, the oscilloscope would jump, would show a signal, until they put a mouse in a bell jar in front of the cat. And they could click and click and click away, but there was no sound. I mean, the sound was in the ear, but it didn't get into the brain because the focus was on the mouse in the bell jar. course talks about this principle and says you know you must become aware of the distorting power of the way you want it to be so the mind reduces awareness of information that's not relative to the goals that are active in the mind at the moment and whatever your mind is set for is what you get to live in is what you get to swim in continuously And ultimately, if you really want to heal, then you've got to have behavior and emotional prompts that will make you aware of things that you engage in that don't support your healing. Conscious operation of the mind rather than just letting it run the way it's been programmed by generations and generations of perhaps pained minds. So build into the mind the brain cells for the behavior and the emotional prompts that you want in your life. The kinds of minds that run so many people's lives, or pardon me, the kind of goals that run so many people's lives are based in survival, money, power, fame, winning, Possessions, looking good. Oh, success is having lots of money. Really? Big error on that one. 
others would define success as being right. So all they want to do is make sure everybody knows they're right. Things, possessions, oftentimes goals like showing someone else up, getting ahead, being safe, having the best, sex, food, excitement, looking good, dominance, prestige. If those things are active in a the mind, then the only evidence the mind can present are things that will support one having those things. And yet, and, and those things become the very block to the success that someone's seeking because their definition of success is somewhere out in left field. If love is squeezed out of awareness by the goals that you're holding, then you better start getting rid of those goals. And ultimately, forgiveness becomes the solution to all of it. Now, some people think the solution is control. And, of course, if somebody needs control, what do they have to do? They have to set goals about everything that they need to control. And the mind hits a level of stress where overwhelm happens. It's the canceling of goals that relieves the stress. And the objective of this work is to support people moving to a space where they have they own a mind and a body system that is fueled by active present love rather than unresolved goals of the culture so our ultimate objective is to support people in living in a mind that is connected to love 24 7 365 There is no thing that can make us successful or valuable or worthwhile or good. And your value is established by your identity, and your identity is that of love. At the moment of creation, that was established. And where one does not honor truth, then much information that would support one achieving success will be blocked. If false data occupies a space where truth is designed to be, then one lives in the state that we call blockage of truth. And the natural state of a human being, unless they're living in blocks of truth, is that of joy. So the question to ask yourself is, can something else actually hurt me? And my offering is that short of a punch in the nose, cancel a thought, that's not possible. If someone can give me a look or speak certain words and I go into pain, they're showing me what's inside of me. They're not the cause of my pain. 
Pain perceptions come only from pain content. There is no other source. So there's a work to be done, and we're here to provide the tools for that work. And each new depth of the experience of the presence of love, each peak experience, each new level of vitality, any healing crisis that results from that requires a new level of commitment to do your work because with each new mountaintop reached, you're empowered to become aware of a new depth of what's within you. Most people who want to live in that connected space of love continuously have no desire whatsoever to take responsibility for and move through what's in them that inhibits them from living in that state they want to live in. And sadly, few people, unless they're properly guided, because of the blocks to maintaining that state, are so painful. You know, in the ancient teachings, they said the, road, the, the gate's narrow. Few will find it. It's because there are generational patterns that need to be faced and healed. We're designed to live in that profoundly sweet, wondrous state called joy. And to achieve that, the genetic and early life traumas that have been unresolved have to be faced, processed through, and removed from the structure. That's the forgiveness work. And life's purpose is to always hone in and show us what it is we need to deal with. And, of course, you'll know that it's yours because you're the one who's feeling it. Once one renounces the one-world religion of blame, that universal religion, it's all somebody else's fault, ownership of what one is feeling becomes a requirement. And the conversation about being others being cause has to come to an end. And at that point, the removal of the power person process begins. And as we said before, that removal process is called forgiveness. Everything unlike your new desired state must be uprooted, faced, and forgiven. If you've ever felt it, you've felt it because it's in you. And you're going to have to feel it at depth to clean it up. And we don't have a choice about what's going to surface. Whatever's there is what's going to surface. And a new vitality, level of vitality automatically kicks off the next level of what it is that's going to surface, and nobody knows what that's going to be. So we're here to support each one living in a continuous taste of that sweet presence of love physiologically. 
and to remove from the mind the traumas that would inhibit us living that way 24-7, 365. Anything that interferes with that state in you has to be dealt with. So we're here to support that happening. And if you're out there in listener land, if you happen to be on one of those stations where we can't see you in our control panel, our call-in number is 563-999-3581. If you call that number, you'll be listening to the show. Push one and let's have a conversation. There's not a hand up, but um, so I'll just fill in time here with, you know, I just started reading a book, The Untethered Soul, and it oh, the cool. first part of Michael Stinger's and the, work. Yeah, and the first uh, chapter of it talks about, you know, the voice in your head and that it's always talking, I mean, constantly. And uh, he gives some examples of that, but then over towards the end of the, chapter he's got like so I'll just read it take a moment to examine the difference between your experience of the outside world and your interactions with the mental world when you're just thinking you're free to create whatever thoughts you want in your mind and those thoughts are through the voice you are very accustomed to settling into the playground of the mind and creating and manipulating thoughts this inner world is an alternate environment that is under your control the outside world, however, marches to its own laws. When the voice narrates the outside world to you, those thoughts are now side by side in parity with all of your other thoughts. All these thoughts intermix and actually influence your experience of the world around you. What you end up experiencing is really a personal presentation of the world according to you rather than the stark, unfiltered experience of what is really out there. This mental manipulation of the outer experience allows you to buffer reality as it comes in. For example, there are myriad things that you see at any given moment, and yet you only narrate a few of them. The ones you discuss in your mind are the ones that matter to you. With this subtle form of pre-processing, you manage to control the experience of reality so that it all fits together inside your mind. Your consciousness is actually experiencing your mental world, mental model of reality, not reality itself. You have to watch this very carefully because you do it all the time. You're walking outside in the winter and you start to shiver and the voice says, it's cold. Now, how did that help you? You already knew it was cold. You're the one who's, asked, you're the one who's experiencing the cold. Why is it telling you this? You recreate the world within your mind because you can control your mind whereas you can't control the world. That's why you mentally talk about it. If you can't get the world the way you like it, you internally verbalize it, judge it, complain about it, and then decide what to do about it. This makes you feel more empowered. When your body experiences cold, there may be nothing you can do to affect the temperature. But when your mind verbalizes, it's cold, you can say, well, we're almost home, just a few more minutes, and now you feel better. In the thought world, there's always something that you can do to control the experience. Basically, you recreate the outside world inside yourself, and then you live it in your mind. What if you decided not to do this? 
if you decide not to narrate and instead just consciously observe the world. You will feel more open and exposed. This is because you really don't know what will happen next. Your mind's accustomed to helping you. It does this by processing your current experiences in a way that makes them fit with your views of the past and visions of the future. All of this helps to create a semblance of control. If your mind doesn't do this, you simply become too uncomfortable. Reality is just too real for most of us, so we temper it with the mind. Come to see that the mind talks all the time because you give it a job to do. You use it as a protection mechanism, a form of defense. Ultimately, it makes you feel more secure. As long as that's what you want, you will be forced to constantly use your mind to buffer yourself from life instead of living it. This world is unfolding and really has very little to do with you or your thoughts. It's here long before you came, and it will be here long after you leave. In the name of attempting to hold the world together, you're really just trying to hold yourself together. True personal growth is about transcending the part of you that is not okay and needs protection. This is done by constantly remembering that you are the one inside that notices the voice talking. That is the way out. The one inside who is aware that you are always talking to yourself about yourself is always silent. It is a doorway to the depths of your being. To be aware that you are watching the voice talk is to stand on the threshold of a fantastic inner journey. If used properly, the same mental voice that has been a source of worry, distraction, and general neurosis can become the launching ground for true spiritual awakening. Come to know the one who watches the voice, and you will come to know one of the great mysteries of creation. Become the thinker apart from the thought, the feeler apart from the feelings, the actor apart from the actions. Yep. Right on, being able to observe. And you're not, and recognizing that one is not the persona, the personality that's made up by the mind, or something far greater than that. So that would be, in the context of Mickey's writing, would be the objective of this work as well to move to the point that it's you who's living the life rather than the mind that's narrating the life. That's a good way to say it. Cool. Sweet. Thank you, Mickey, or Michael. Years ago when I knew him, he was known as Mickey. I guess that's his nickname. Good stuff. And we've got about so we got a hand. Awesome. Let's say hello. Cool. It's Anne seven six zero. You're on the air. What's you doing? Welcome, you. Hey. Well, thank you. Yeah, I've been gonna share this. I've been gonna send this cartoon to you for a long time, and um, I still will. (laughs) But I want to speak it and set the picture because it, it kind of goes with what you were just reading and what, you know, you were saying before that, Michael. Um, I call it a, a classic Peanuts cartoon that Charles Schultz, you know, had in the newspaper. And right. it's, it's old because the newspaper print is getting, 
you know, turning kind of yellow. But um, I had taped it onto a piece of paper that I was going to, you know, attach to an email. And so now that I'm speaking it, I'm going to, I will follow through with it, right? Uh, <clears throat> anyway, it, I, I call it, I've titled it the ultimate blame game. Okay. So right. the, first little, the first little picture is Charlie Brown is um, flying his kite. And you don't see the kite, but you see the string up in the sky, right? And he's looking up at it. And the next picture, right. big capital letters, crash. Kite comes down, crashes, busts all the pieces, right? The next picture, he's looking at it, of course, with the tear, you know, the sweat, the tears. He's so sad, and there's smoke coming up from the kite. The next picture is he's walking home, very dejected, very sad. And he goes, and he um, stands, and the next picture is he sees the television. He says, hmm, you know, he, he never says anything, but. And then the next picture, he's sitting in front of the television. It's like, okay, I'm just saying, all right, we're going to use the television to um, deal with your sadness, right? Anyway, um, the next picture, he's taking his shirt off, getting ready for bed. Next picture, laying in bed. Next picture, he's turning to one side. His eyes are opening. Next picture, he's sitting up in bed. Next picture, he's slowly walking through the house. Last picture, in capital letters, exclamation mark, he opens the house door and yells outside, stupid kite. <laughs> yep. So, I mean. Now I feel better. Look for something to blame. <laughs> You know, oftentimes, you know, Jeannie and I are in the evenings, we usually watch a movie, and oftentimes there'll be somebody that does something, you know, something isn't going their way, and they'll turn around and, you know, smash a glass or, you know, break a picture or break away. So I'm like, well, that's really bright. So you just destroyed some of your own property because something didn't go your way. It, it, you know, it's like... Some of the responses we have are pretty crazy. I mean, it's just so perfect because how many times have we not gotten rid of the goal that we had? And it's like, you know, the whole um, cancel your goals before you go to bed for, you know, that waking day. Um, and you lay awake, you know, still thinking right. about them. If you don't, I mean, I've, for me, but you know, you, you suggest that, and so it's such a perfect scenario, you know, that he's laying in bed. <laughs> and okay, so it's not a person, but we do the same thing with not only with people, but with things like you just gave the example of. It's like, well, it's the it's the dishes' fault that it fell. Oh, so now I'll yeah, like you said. Well, now I'm going to throw something or I'm going to bang the cupboard, which will vibrate the dishes in there and something else will fall out and break. Or, I mean, yeah, our, our responses to it. Just, um, yeah, anyway, I, I just had to share that one. So thank you again. And that old saying that says that it's sometimes hard to remember that the objective was to drain the swamp. 
when you're up to your butt and alligators. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And you know, if if we forget that the objective is to live as a human being, to actually live as the presence of love, then the mind can go on all kinds of crazy tangents that are just reflections of generational patterns. It's like time to let them go. So thank you for that humorous interlude. Other than that, how are things in your world? Um, they're good. I'm still working on, you know, I'm still working on resistance. <laughs> right. That's a, I, right now, it's, I think it's a lifetime journey, but hopefully not. But it's a journey to overcome the resistance to do the work. Um, and... It's just like you've said over and over when, you know, it works when you work it. Well, step programs are great for that phrase. Um, So um, I've been working on the whole thing of everything that happens is a gift, like um, some of the readings that Dr. Tim has been doing. And and it really lessens the stress. Like, okay. And, And so I know... I'm continuing to heal when I don't spend as much time in the event that happened and I start looking sooner and sooner and I can look back over the years and think, oh, I carried that one for a long time. And now sometimes it's only a few minutes and I start thinking, okay, what, what's the good out of this? And, you know, am I playing a part for somebody else or what just happened for me? And, it's just so much better. It takes, for me, it takes a lot of practice. And it's like you've said, we don't heal this overnight when we've been carrying some of this stuff for a long time. And it's Right. If so only Tina's had gotten in that cartoon, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Rolling around in bed and finally getting up and shouting out the door. <laughs> right. Like, and the power... And, and it, and the, the fact that the kite is a thing and it's already kind of messed up, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> the blame. Anyway, that's why it's yeah. the ultimate blame game. So it doesn't do any good for me to – and God had started working with me on traffic a long, long time ago, so I don't have as much issues um, with traffic and people doing things that I wouldn't do or they haven't learned to um, – be a better um, driver on the road and think of other people. Um, however, um, the other day, just the thought came in my head, and I go, oh, wait. The only difference between that thought and me voicing it is that it's in my head, is that I didn't voice it out loud, right? And I go, okay, so that's the next level, right? But I don't even need to think that thought if I want to stay in love. So that was it wasn't a horrible thing that, you know, it's probably just coming over and not signaling or something like that. It was like, oh, but I immediately changed my thought. Oh, okay. <laughs> it's just part of driving. I mean, it happens all the time. Why well, I get upset about it. Right. I just need to, so and, and it goes back to, you know, the whole awareness thing, right? 
if I'm the one who's getting better at being aware, then I'm prepared. And so what can be wrong with that? Nice. Very cool, anyway. very sweet. You remind yeah, me of my mom when she used to live in a place where she oftentimes had to cross a railroad track and oftentimes would get stuck at the at the uh, the tracks with the train going through. And she would just be very frustrated and upset and, you know, like, Nyeh. and so we talked about that and the, the canceling the goal. And, uh, oh, it was sometime later, but she said, you know, now she said, I'm realizing that I'm actually in charge of what my mind does. What I do is I keep a book in the car. She loves to read. I keep a book in the car. And when the train is blocking the road, she said, I appreciate it. I have time to read my book. You know, it's like just a, a total turnaround. So simple, but a total turnaround yeah. from frustration and agitation to, oh, I could be in charge of my mind instead of blaming a train for the way I'm using my mind to create frustration and upset. Right. So it's exactly. definitely... That's perfect. Yeah. <laughs> perfect. Yeah, good for her. Cool. Okay. Well, thank you folks again and for all you do, and, and have a blessed day. Deacon. All right, young lady. Appreciate you. Lots of love and blessings. Take care. Everybody, thank you for joining us. Have the best year yet of your eternal life. It's an awesome gift to give the world. The world needs it. You can give it. Blessings. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Mind Shifters Radio with Dr. Michael Rice and myself, Jeannie Rice, and Dr. Tim Hayes and Michelle Pache as we present the first century Aramaic internal process of forgiveness. We are here for two hours every Monday through Friday from 12 noon to 2 o'clock Eastern Time on MindShifters Radio. For more information on Aramaic forgiveness, please visit www.whyagain.org. That's www.whyagain.org.